grab our Bibles and turn to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. Let me remind us that it's the book of Revelation, not the book of Revelations. It's just a pet peeve of mine, but it's all good. It's all good. Book of Revelation. We began two weeks ago a sermon series on the uh, letters that Jesus dictated to the seven churches. And uh, if you don't know, but before Revelation gets into all the, the judgments and the bowls and the trumpets and all the, all the destruction and death and all that other stuff that, that freaks some of us out and intrigues others, uh, Jesus actually appears to John, who is on, he's in exile. He's been punished for preaching the gospel. And so he's in exile on the island of Patmos. And he finds himself having this encounter with Jesus. Jesus literally appears to him. And we have that whole account on, on chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. And then Jesus has John dic- or, or write, as he dictates these letters, Jesus has John write these letters to seven different locations, all of them found in Asia. And we started with the letter to Ephesus when we talked about your first love. Then we talked about, uh, last week, the letter that Jesus dictated to Smyrna. Now today, we're going to take a look at the letter to Pergamum. And I've titled this message, When the Devil Gets Comfortable. When the devil gets comfortable. Now, I want to tell you that Jesus has like a, a pattern with all of these letters that he writes. He tells them, he introduces himself, okay? Gives a description of himself. He will compliment them as to what they're doing, what they're doing right. Then he'll get into what they might be doing wrong and what they need to do to fix that, and then he'll give them some incentive to act on his words. That's the case here with this church as well. And I want us to pay real close attention to the wording that Jesus uses when he dictates this letter to this church. So, if you're able to, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of God's word for the reading of his word as we read this together. We're going to start in verse 12 of Revelation chapter 2. We're going to go to verse 17. Here we go. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas. My faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> What's, you know, you've heard of some nicknames for cities, right? You know, Seattle's like the Emerald City, Chicago's the Windy City. This one here, this is where Satan lives. So, <laughs> wow. Uh, verse 14. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam 
who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols, then they committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. What happens when the devil gets comfortable? Jesus, would you speak to us, I pray, and let your Holy Spirit move in our hearts, move in our lives. We ask you, Lord God, that your word would change us and draw us closer to you. And Lord, we'll thank you, we'll give you the praise. In Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. What happens when the devil gets comfortable? Now, here's the deal. A lot of us here, while we're reading this letter that Jesus dictated here, we're we're like, boy, there's some stuff I don't understand here. I'm not sure what Jesus is talking about here when he mentions like Nicolaitans and Balaam and a a white stone. What's with the white rocks? And and I want to explain that to you today because you're going to be blessed by this and challenged by what Jesus had to say. And so since we got some work to do here, Let's look at four really important parts of this story, okay? And uh, I'm praying that God would just speak to us in a profound way here as we look at this together. Here's part one. Here's the first part. The, The sanctuary is commended, first of all. Jesus has some good things to say about this church. And this is important. Why why is that? Because a lot of times, a lot of times we will read stuff like this and we're thinking, wow, that church was full of a bunch of losers. That church was full of a bunch of people that just didn't get it right. And I will tell you that Jesus is talking to some people that got a lot of things right. In fact, this is what you're going to notice in all these letters. So, and you've seen it so far. There could be some churches, there could be people in church who do a lot of things right and still have a lot wrong. And that's the power of his word. Now, look again at what he had to say. Look at verse 13. He says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Let's unpack that. Because for a lot of us, we're probably, we probably haven't brushed up on our Antipas trivia before coming to church today. Would you agree? Right? That's why it's good that you come to church, that you learn stuff that, that maybe you would not have caught just by reading what the Word has to say. But before we get into the issues of the church, let's take a look at some of the things that Jesus is referring to. The people of Pergamum, the city... They worshipped a bunch of Greek gods and Roman gods. But when Christianity arrived with the belief in just one God, Jesus Christ, the city's pagan priests went on the attack. So you've got this multi 
deity type of city. They're just worshiping everything that moves, basically. And then Christians show up and say, there's only one God, Jesus Christ. There's only one way, Jesus Christ. Not all roads lead to heaven. You've got to go through Jesus Christ. And that is still true today. Can you say amen? amen. So, so the pagan priests in charge of all these false religions, they decided to attack a very good man by the name of Antipas. That's his yearbook photo, by the way, what you're seeing right now. <laughs> Jesus called this man his faithful witness. He was the bishop of Pergamum. He was actually ordained by the Apostle John. His faith, his passionate faith for Jesus, got the attention of the pagan priests. It is said, you ready for this? It is said that that Antipas cast out so many devils that the demons started to complain to the pagan priests about Antipas. So these pagan priests went to the Roman governor and they complained that the prayers of Antipas were actually driving out the spirits out of the city and and he was hindering the worship of their false gods. How many of you know you're making a difference when it comes down to this, right? So as punishment, the governor ordered Antipas to, to, uh, to offer a sacrifice of wine and incense to a statue of the Roman emperor. And Antipas was to declare that, that the emperor was Lord and God. Antipas refused. So Antipas was sentenced to death on the altar of Zeus. This altar of Zeus was a hollow bronze bull. And the punishment would go like this, as you can kind of see the picture describing They would take the victim, place him inside the bull, and they would tie him in such a way that his head would go into the head of the bull or towards the direction of the head of the bull. And they would light a huge fire under the bull. And as the fire heated the bronze, the person inside the bull would slowly begin to roast to death. And as the victim would begin to moan and cry, in pain, obviously, his cries would echo through the pipes to the head of the bull, so it seemed to make the bull come alive with the sounds of the screams and the moans of the person sentenced to death. Even in the midst of all the flames, Antipas died while he was praying for his church. This was the year AD 92. Now, what's so significant about this altar? All that's left there to the altar of Zeus is just the foundation. But in the 19th century, German engineers dismantled the altar, and they took it to Berlin. This so-called throne of Satan went on display in what was called the Pergamum Museum there in Berlin. This was 1930. This was just in time to inspire 
one of the most brutal dictators the world has ever known. This is the city whom Jesus was talking to. Imagine being a Christian in that. Where to be devoted to Jesus meant death. And Jesus looks at this city and he says, I know what your faith is like. You didn't even renounce your faith in me. Even when Antipas was roasted to death, you were still loyal to me. This church was a picture of steadfastness, even in the midst of severe persecution. Could I ask you, before we go any further, just how devoted are you to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? See, we, we really don't have a clue here in the United States just yet of what persecution is like. But there are countries even very close to us that will arrest pastors for saying the wrong thing. They'll call it hate speech. I'm learning that hate speech is basically whatever somebody disagrees with. We're living in times where we are going to be tested, church. Jesus is coming soon. And so the enemy, uh, pardon the pun, but he's turning up the heat on the church, trying to discourage the church, trying to dissuade your, de- your devotion to Jesus Christ. Are we firm in our commitment to Jesus Christ? So before we get into what this church did wrong, I want to encourage you with what they did right and let that challenge you before we go any further. How devoted am I? Does, does, it, does it take somebody making fun of you for you to back off in your walk with God? Does, does it take somebody to, to post some snide remark online, how all the courageous people do? Does it take that for you to kind of wane in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Or are you sold out to this God of ours that no matter what, I will serve the Lord? The sanctuary was commended. But then secondly, we find out that in that city, Satan was comfortable. <laughs> now We've already seen some examples with bronze bulls and, and, and false religions, but... Jesus says some things here that I want to point out. Look at, again at verse 13. He says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Let's just stop at that first verse. He says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Now, the word throne here is probably not what you're thinking it is. A lot of us would see this word throne and we think it's this big ornate thing that is like, you know, bigger than, than anything we've ever seen. You're kind of sitting on the big chair because you're the big cheese and you're in charge and it's a sense of royalty. And that's not, when Jesus uses this word throne, if you look at the Greek language, that's not what he's saying. What Jesus is actually saying is this. This is the same word for a chair that would be used in a personal, private residence. Think of your recliner. 
How many of you, you got that chair that nobody else is allowed to sit on? Let's see your hands. How many of you? Okay. All right. Yeah, slowly they're coming. This is like a confessional here. This is incredible here. The altars are open. No, it's, this was a chair, uh, the throne here. It was the chair for the Lord of the house, for the master of the house. That's his chair. When you walk into the Anderson's living room, we have different, different pieces of furniture. One of them would be Teddy's couch, that, that we have this dog, and that's where he sits. So we've assigned the couch to Teddy. And then there's my wife's recliner, and then Jonathan sits on the floor. No, I'm kidding. And, uh, <laughs> we just throw him some kibble, he's good. Um, but then there's my recliner, okay? That chair is reserved for me, okay? And you risk being cast into outer darkness if you sit on my chair. My chair. Okay, don't mess with my chair, all right? So I watch my games, I watch everything on that chair, okay? I'm not going to go to Teddy's couch. I'm on my chair, okay? So... This idea of a very comfortable chair reserved for the master of a house, that's what Jesus, that's the vernacular that Jesus is using, where he says, I know where you live, so let's 21st century this. This is where Satan has a recliner. This is where the devil really gets comfortable, in your city. He's not talking about a kingdom. He's talking about a satanic comfort level in this city. So the question is this, okay, wow, well, I don't want that to happen. So the question is, how does Satan get comfortable in or with our own lives? How's that happen? So I'm not talking about a city now. I'm talking about your home. I I may not even be talking about your home. I might be talking about your life. How does the enemy of our souls get comfortable with you? It happens when, first of all, when boundaries are belittled. Where we had biblical boundaries that we would never cross as a family, as an individual. We would never let our kids cross those boundaries, but, but for whatever reason, maybe because of pressure from the culture, uh, this or that, or whatever the case might be, we cross those boundaries now. Some things that would never be allowed into your life and some things that would never be allowed into your house, now you are allowing those things. Those are called convictions. I'll get to those. But if boundaries, biblical boundaries are being crossed in your life, then I will tell you that there is a devil sitting on a recliner, very comfortable with what he is seeing. Boundaries get belittled. Discipline becomes diminished. I'm reminded of one version of a verse in First Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of love, power, 
King James says sound mind. NIV says love, power, and self-discipline. And sometimes just our regular disciplines in our faith in God, they become diminished. And by the way, nobody wakes up, nobody wakes up in the morning after hitting snooze three times and says, you know what, I'm going to turn my back on God today. No, it, it, this is a slow burn. This happens gradually. We, we start to wear down our boundaries and then the disciplines that we had in order to keep our faith in God alive, whether that be our personal prayer time, whether that be our time that we read God's word. Uh, and, and there are so many that we talk about all the time, all the time here at Bethel Church. All of a sudden, some of those disciplines, we start missing those things. Or we don't place a priority on those things anymore. And what happens, they're... they're that opens up the door to a comfort level of something that is very sinister and very evil that will actually destroy us. And then convictions become comical. Parents, what you allow, your kids will embrace. I should say that again. What you allow in your home, your kids will embrace. Godly convictions are enormous to the success of your family serving Jesus Christ. We as parents, we have a responsibility. Are are they always going to get it right? No. No. But I'm reminded that if we train a child up in the way that he or she should go, when they are old, they will not depart from it. <laughs> they might try, but they can't. That's the power of God's word. That's the power of godly convictions. And, and I've seen this, where, where, where we might chalk up different biblical convictions in our lives, things that, that we would never allow in our lives. We might think, well, that's kind of an old way of thinking. That's kind of old-fashioned. The old guy on the platform believes that, but, you know, we don't. We think you can still get to heaven if you do this. You know, I hate that question. Can I just say that? Can I still get to heaven if I, you know, don't ask that question. Don't ask that question. It's like when I was, no, I won't say that. I won't say that. That's the wrong question to ask. The question to ask is, what can I do to please my Lord? Not what can I get away with. Are you hearing me today? So when boundaries are belittled and discipline is diminished and when convictions are become comical, then that is when the enemy of our souls becomes very comfortable with our lives and with our homes and, God forbid, even our churches. But I'm reminded, I'm reminded that God has something to say about it all. And that leads me to number three. The third part of this is when Jesus points out the saints were actually compromising. There was compromise there. Even, the, <laughs> even this church that said, I will not renounce my faith. I will not worship Caesar. I will not worship a false god. But yet, there was some 
intricate compromises in the congregation amongst the saints that Jesus... By the way, this is Jesus. Jesus brought it out. Look what he says in verses 14 and 15. He says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, I'll explain that, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and they committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also hold, uh, you have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Let me explain these two false doctrines real quick. Basically, they were kind of a mesh of the same idea, which basically said, hey, you're a Christian. Guess what? You've got to get out of the hell free card now. So you can do whatever you want. And God will forgive you. So it doesn't matter what you do. God doesn't care. Just say the prayer. But you can still keep doing the stuff. And do you remember what we said last week? God wants us to change. There needs to be a change, not in, in what you say. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Great. But now, some of us, we got, we got some rough edges we got to work on. And some of them are way rougher than the other. And to have this teaching that says, well, God doesn't care. I'm just going to tell you, yes, he does. Yes, he does. And, and mm, this church would not curse God. They would not curse God. But they had a problem compromising with the world. Pastor, are you telling us that we shouldn't drink or chew or date girls that do? Well, yeah, but, but there's more than just a dirty deeds list here. It's a change of heart. More than a change of behavior, it's a change of heart. Okay? Uh, I, I've had people, why don't you preach about smoking? Why don't you preach about drinking? Why don't you preach about this? You know, whatever their pet uh, sin is. And, and, and I don't. You know, you're not going to see a big cigarette on the screen. Today's, <laughs> today's sermon is about cigarettes. I'm not going to do that, okay? Um, you know what? I, I preach heart change. Because if God can change my heart, he'll change all my habits too. And to be quite honest with you, some of those that are preaching against smoking have no problem gossiping. But that's another sermon altogether. (laughs) Just saying. So there should be a heart change. And we can't allow compromise to come into our lives. And it's very enticing, isn't it? Because it's all over the place. Social media, it's all over the place. TV. Man, I grew up, I grew up in an age where there were like three channels. Remember that? Four if you move the antenna just the right way. Yeah. Now there's hundreds. And 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 I'm not saying it's all bad. I watch TV uh, sometimes. But there, there's, there's so much exposure to compromise in this world right now. The internet. 
full of stuff. This is where boundaries have to come in. This is where we say, okay, there's just some things I cannot allow into my life. There are some things that I just cannot entertain anymore. Why? Because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Here's what it says. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. Look what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. So you might be sitting here thinking, man, oh, I got some junk in my life. I got some stuff that I got to deal with. Pastor, I'm trying. Am I allowed to still be here if I'm an absolute train wreck? And the answer is yes. There's a whole church full of train wrecks in this place. Can you all say amen? Or choo-choo or whatever. So there's a lot of issues. And we're all about, we are not about perfect people only in this place. It's by the grace of God that we're receiving help to become more like him every single day. So, pastor, what do I do? I've got these things that I've allowed in my life. I've got this junk going on, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us or to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you've got some junk, you've got some compromise in your life, then let me tell you, today you can take care of that. You can start the process today. I put it this way. Confess your compromise to the Lord and he'll give you a brand new start today. Maybe you've not had a good week spiritually. Confess it to the Lord. He'll take you. Oh, I don't want God to hear that. He already knows. He already knows. It's not for his good that you're saying all this. It's for yours. Confess your compromise to the Lord. He'll forgive you. But he refuses to stop there. He wants you to change. And that gives me our last point here. The Savior, the King of Kings, the Savior communicates with this church something very special. Look at verse 16 and 17. Repent, therefore. There's that word again. Repent. So it's not just saying sorry. Repentance is changing. Do we remember when we talked about this? Repentance is the U-turn. Forgiveness stops you. Repentance turns you around. So Jesus says, repent, turn around, come back, do what you did before. I will, otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. That's the word of God. Then he says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who's victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Pastor, what's that about? As we close, let's unpack what Jesus is saying. He's saying, first of all, it's time to repent. It's time to repent. Let's not manage our sin. 
I need to say that again. You're not called to manage sin. You don't have the ability to manage sin. You might think you do. But it's like managing acid. Slowly it's going to eat away at you. You don't manage sin. You don't rename sin. Well, I got a problem. I got a hang-up. What's your hang-up? I do this. Oh, that sounds like a sin. Well, I do this. I got a problem, Pastor. I kill people. I woke up today. I was ready just to kill everybody in here, Pastor. That's why I confessed to you. You would not call that a (laughs) hang-up. In fact, you'd call the police. Uh, So that's an extreme example. But I think one of the tricks that the enemy has used on this generation is renaming sin to make it something else. To make it seem okay. And it's not. It's toxic. It'll ruin us. It'll destroy us. It'll destroy our family. It'll destroy everything that we have. It's time to repent of our sinful actions, and I believe it's also time to repent of tolerating sinfulness. Can't believe what popped up on my computer. Well, stop going to those sites. Man, I, I'm really attracted to that cashier over at the Circle K. Get your polar pop elsewhere then, Bubba. Stop tolerating things that could potentially harm you spiritually. I read somewhere that we are to run from the very appearance of evil. Correct? So I think we need to repent. But I also think we need to remember something very important. And that's this. God has more to offer us than what the devil does. God has so much more to offer you. See, the lie is believing that compromise will be more fulfilling than Jesus. And it's just not the case. Jesus says something about hidden manna and a white stone. And some of us are thinking, what's with the rocks? Right? It's like, okay, well... I guess I get gravel from Jesus. Woo-hoo. And that's, there, there's more to it. That hidden manna, that is a simple, do, do you remember how God sustained the Israelites when they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years? What did he give them? Manna. Manna. And he gave them enough every day in order to not only provide for them, but to also sustain them in the journey. Oh, don't miss this. If we confess our compromise, if we, if we no longer allow our boundaries to be belittled, then what happens? Jesus gives you just what you need every single day to sustain you in this spiritual journey that we call the Christian walk. See, that doesn't come from you. That doesn't come from your dazzling personality. That comes from Jesus. Okay, but what about that white rock, the white stone? 
in those days in the first century, when somebody was found not guilty in a court of law, often to demonstrate their innocence to those in the society, they would be handed a white stone signifying their innocence, that they had been declared innocent while some tried to declare him guilty. A white stone was also used. You ready for this? It was given to an athlete, a victorious athlete, who won a race or won a contest. That stone would have the athlete's name on it. And it was a personal, follow me, it was a personal invitation to a special banquet. Let me know where I'm going. Revelation 19.9. The angel said to me, to John, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. If you overcome, Jesus will give you everything you need to sustain you and to become victorious. And Jesus has invited you. He, he has pronounced you not guilty. And by the way, if Jesus pronounces you not guilty, it doesn't matter what your family says. It doesn't matter what your friends say. It doesn't matter what your ex says. It doesn't matter what this person or that person says. When Jesus declares you not guilty, you are not guilty. Here's your white stone. And this is how I see you. In fact, you have been invited to a special banquet. The wedding supper of the Lamb. I want to overcome. I want to win this thing. But I can't do it in my power. I got to do it through the Holy Spirit's power. Jonathan, if you can help me out. So here are my questions. Are there any areas of compromise in your life today? And nobody can answer that better than you can. Any areas of your, uh, uh, in your life that you know they, they don't belong in the life of a child of God? They don't. And you probably got some really good things going on, just like this church did. But it could slowly be destroyed when we allow things ever so subtly to come into our lives. Compromise. Is the enemy comfortable with your life? Or could we have a church full of people who ruined the enemy's day because we woke up. Are we making him comfortable or are we making the enemy threatened by our existence? The devil's a liar. Jesus is victorious. And today, let's confess any compromise that we have 
and let's overcome. Can you say amen? Will you stand with me? Now I know that this is uh, this could be a very, very, very personal moment between you and Jesus. So I'm going to give you a chance to have a personal moment with him. What I mean by that, I'm going to pray a prayer. If there's any area in your life, any area of your life that is a compromise. And again, you know, you know this. Don't justify it anymore. It, it, would Jesus do it with you? Would Jesus say it with you? Would Jesus think this with you? And if not, then let's confess that to Jesus. Amen? And that starts today. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give you a chance just to meet with him. You might want to come to this front area and pray. You may want to pray at your seat. We're going to make this a place of prayer. If you want to fellowship with one another, I'm going to ask you to try to do so in the lobby so we don't disturb those that might be seeking God today. But let's overcome. Let's overcome. Jesus has got you. He brought you to this moment to say, let's deal with this today. Let's not leave here without dealing with it. Jesus, right now, we bring our lives to you. We pray, Lord God, that you would unveil to us anything that we have mislabeled, that we have entertained, that we have allowed to take place. And Jesus, we pray that just as you spoke to this church in the first century, God, we pray now that you speak to this church in the 21st century. And God, if there is anything that we have subtly let into our... And yes, God, we may have a great past. We, we could point to great moments, but, but Lord, we're talking about now. Lord, if there's anything now that doesn't belong, Lord, we confess it to you today. We confess that to you today. We repent of it today. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to the hearts and the minds of those that are here so that we would know what we need to do differently. So God, give us the courage to change. Give us the wisdom to know how to do so. And I'll thank you for what you do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. If you need to pray, feel free to do so right now. If God's released you, you can consider yourself dismissed. God bless you. Who am I that the highest king?